Well, good morning. We welcome you to Redeemer, and we are glad that you can join us uh, for this time of worship. And uh, if you are uh, new and um, are, we're just trying to get to know you a little bit better, uh, we'd love to uh, greet you after the service. We have our coffee time and uh, just an opportunity to uh, interact with a few more people. And uh, we would also like to get to know you if you're interested. Uh, the pastors love to um, be able to get coffee with you during the week and just get to know you a little bit better if you're interested in uh, being contacted, the uh, uh, you can con- uh, text the word "welcome" to the number that's on the screen, and then uh, if you don't prefer text and you want to use paper, there's a connect card that's in the uh, seat pocket in front of you, and you can just put that in the offering plate if you're interested. Uh, if you're a member, we would just encourage you to uh, greet those around you that you don't know, and then maybe introduce them to somebody that you do know, and uh, just help everybody feel welcome here. Uh, For those that might also be interested in getting to know a few more people, we have our Redeemer Open House today. Uh, Dick and Janet Champ will be right over by the Welcome Center if you'd like to meet them. Uh, They're the ones that are hosting our lunch and uh, would love to uh, meet you if you're interested in joining them for lunch. Anybody's welcome, um, but uh, we'd just love to have you there. Uh, Coming up on Saturday, we have our food pantry, and uh, we have a number of things that are Uh, being distributed, and if you would like to help and volunteer with that, uh, we appreciate uh, you being a part of that ministry. And uh, coming up uh, next Sunday evening, uh, it's just a very special time of uh, worship, uh, of our uh, evening of praise. If you've not been there, I highly recommend you joining us. Just a a wonderful night of music and uh, just a a great joy to be together uh, in that particular um, service. And then following that, we have our food and fellowship time. So again, another opportunity to uh, meet a few more people and get connected with them uh, around the table. Uh, So we just encourage you to be a part of that as well. Uh, Pastor Dan is going to come up now for our last announcement. Good morning. Just wanted to give you a reminder that we have a parenting conference coming up soon with Julie Lowe, uh, a counselor who uh, taught at CCEF, uh, an organization that specializes in biblical counseling uh, for 20 years. Uh, She was one of uh, the professors at Westminster while I was there. Uh, And I can tell you, I've been personally uh, blessed by her uh, teaching, not just simply because of of classwork and and things related to ministry, uh, but also to parenting as well. Uh, She's got a number of books, including uh, Childproof and Safeguards. And she's going to be coming and speaking on uh, how do we uh, parent wisely and intentionally. Uh, We have a video, uh, a brief video to show uh, that that describes um, some of the kinds of counsel that, that she would offer at that time. So if we could watch that. One of the other things that can be harmful to us as parents is the comparison game. Mm-hmm. You know, well, you know, Jean's doing all these things correctly and I'm not. And, you know, yeah. speak to the damage of having that over-the-top comparison attitude. Well, pick on myself. If I were to look at other families and say, wow, look at how their kids are, look how they engage, look at this marriage and how well right. uh, they interact with each other. And I I take what they're doing and I try to apply it to my marriage. I assume that my husband, my children are exactly the same as that husband and and those children. 
Um, and that's just faulty thinking. I can look at principles. I think there's wonderful principles that say they are doing this really well, and I need to figure out what they're doing well and what the principles are behind that and yeah. apply that and learn how to apply that to my marriage and my children. So we certainly can grow from watching how other families do things and have creative ideas for parenting and living life. However, it's the biblical principles behind it. And then we've got to contextualize it to our own Yeah, home. I like that. So there that kind of captures what, sh what the central message is, is, is we want to parent not simply uh, by some prescribed formula, but we want to take biblical principles and figure out how to apply them into our families. And maybe you feel the burden uh, of that in your own family, but also maybe you know somebody in uh, your, your neighborhood at work. Uh, we, this is an open conference. It's actually a free conference as well. There, there is uh, a sign-up for food that's coming up soon. Uh, so if you'd like to attend or if you know somebody who would like to attend, please uh, be sure to point them to one of these uh, uh, or point them to the, the church website and, uh, or our social media and so that, that folks can sign up, uh, sign up for a lunch uh, and that they uh, might be blessed in their parenting. Uh, those are all our announcements. Let's take a moment now and prepare to worship our God. Rejoice that God's mercies are new every morning, that we live in the light of His grace. The psalmist said in Psalm 43, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. We are here to worship. Let us stand as we sing.
Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come uh, before you this morning with joyful hearts that we can worship our Maker, uh, the one that knows us, the one that created every aspect of who we are and uh, gave us the lives that you have and that you are uh, met with us uh, through your Son, Jesus Christ, who became flesh who lived the perfect life that we failed to live, Lord, who took upon himself the sins that we deserve so that we could rejoice in your forgiveness because he rose from the dead to prove that that penalty was paid in full and that we might have hope of eternal life as we trust in him. We ask that your spirit would guide us in this time of worship, that we would exalt you as our great God and that we would uh, be in awe of your infinite greatness. Amen.
seated. The Lord that we serve is certainly great, and I do not know what ways he has demonstrated that greatness uh, in your life this week, uh, things that he has done uh, to show forth his magnificence and his majesty. Uh, But when we see uh, those uh, glimpses, either from his word, even in times of song as we enjoy each week in worship, uh, whatever ways that he has demonstrated the beauty of creation, uh, his majesty, it does remind us of our weakness, of the fact that we didn't make all of these things, that we are totally dependent upon this glorious God. And so we come to him uh, to recognize our weakness, to recognize that we fall short of his glory and need to confess that to him. And as we go through this Ten Commandments series, we are uh, coming to the end of the Fifth Commandment, uh, where we have already looked at the responsibility of those that are under authority, what the confession calls the inferiors, uh, now looking at the responsibilities of those that are in authority, right, called the superiors, uh, not superior in value, just superior in the amount of authority the person has. And uh, we looked at last week the duties that were required, and today the sins that are forbidden. And uh, we're going to begin by looking at uh, what is uh, required of us in, as parents in particular in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verses 2 through 4. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now let us confess our faith together answering this question. What are the sins of superiors? The sins of superiors are, besides the neglect of the duties required of them, an inordinate seeking of themselves, their own glory, ease, profit, or pleasure, commanding things unlawful, or not in the power of inferiors to perform, counseling, encouraging, or favoring them in that which is evil, dissuading, discouraging, or disapproving of them in that which is good, correcting them unduly, careless, exposing, or leading them to wrong, temptation, and danger, provoking them to wrath, or any way dishonoring themselves or lessening their authority by an unjust, indiscreet, rigorous, or remiss behavior. All of us have things that we are responsible for, and we have some level of authority over something else. Usually, in this case, obviously the most direct is parents over children, but it's employer over employee. It's even perhaps a child over his or her pet, right, that we have ways that we exert our authority over other things, and we have these responsibilities, plenty of things there uh, that God has called us to confess. So let us take this time to go to him in silent prayer. Father, we are grateful 
that though we see this list of sins and can just see in our own hearts how easily uh, we transgress and stumble into uh, these things, putting ourselves first, not serving those that we are called to serve, or doing things that are benefiting to us and harmful to others, or whatever power trips we get on where we want to control. Father, we are coming and bringing these things to you, asking that you would forgive us, that we would submit ourselves to your authority, the one who is good and patient and kind in the exerting of your authority over us. Help us to know your delight in us, that we would truly uh, delight ourselves in you as we follow after your example, and that you would help us to become more like Jesus, and we pray it in his name. Amen. The Lord offers us this wonderful promise in Hebrews chapter 9. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify the uh, purification of the flesh, right, obviously talking about the old covenant, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Well, we can rejoice that our sins are washed clean by the blood of Christ, and we have the opportunity to sing that truth as we sing, There is a Fountain. Please stand with me.
Please join me in our prayer of thanksgiving. Our Heavenly Father, we come unto you on this beautiful morning. We thank you, Lord, for the blessing of being in your house, worshiping and praising your holy name. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace to all of us in a week gone by. We thank you that you are a holy, all-knowing, all-powerful God who uh, abounds in steadfast love and righteousness. We thank you for the gift of your word, for the Ten Commandments. Lord, we thank you for the wisdom and guidance and direction it gives uh, to us. And yet, Lord, as we uh, read your word and continue to uh, study your commandments, we see how far we have fallen from your perfect and holy ways. Lord, we pray that you would give us the courage to uh, bring our sins before you, for you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to remember them no more. We thank you, Lord, as we have just read, that we uh, do not have the blood of goats and bulls. Lord, that we thank you that we are washed clean in the precious blood of your Son, our Savior. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are and what you have done for us on the cross. We thank you for uh, forgiveness, for salvation, and for eternal life that is found in you and you alone. Lord, give us a desire to honor and glorify you Uh, as we uh, live out our lives uh, here on this earth. And now, Lord, as we uh, come to uh, the preaching of your word, we pray that you would be with Pastor Jeff. We pray that you would fill him with your spirit as he uh, once again uh, preaches the gospel uh, from John. We thank you for this rich book. We thank you, Lord, that we can say uh, with John the Baptist, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Lord, we pray that you would open our ears and that we would apply the gospel to our hearts, that we would honor and glorify you. Lord, we do pray as as well that you would bless uh, the offering that is about to be taken. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.
Would you join me in prayer this morning as we bring each other before our God? Let's bow in prayer. Father, the psalmist says in Psalm 5, Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Make your way straight before me. That is not just the prayer of the psalmist. That is our prayer this morning. Lead us, Lord. Lead us because we need your help as we look at the future. Often we think a lot about our past and the things that have happened, things that we regret perhaps, things that are very joyful, but it is that future that is very difficult for us to discern. And yet we find ourselves longing to know what that future is. We even covet that desire to know exactly what will happen. Maybe we're in a position of life where we're younger and we look at our future and we wonder what job we will have, what relationships you'll give us, where we will live. Maybe we're in college and we're making those decisions and we're asking you, Lord, show us where to go. Show us what to do. Lord, give us your help. We don't know what the future holds. Maybe we're at that spot in our lives where we have young children. And we look at our children and we wonder what will happen in their future. And we pray for them. We earnestly ask, Lord, that you would work in them. And then we see strengths and weaknesses, sometimes joyful things, sometimes difficult things. And we pray, Lord, together this morning, lead us and lead them. Maybe we're in the spot in our lives where our children have moved away. And we hear from them every once in a while about what they're doing. And Father, our prayer often as parents at that point is, Father, we cannot see and know what they're doing. And that's okay, but you do. Would you show them what the future looks like? And would you have, would you, Lord, have in their hearts a great desire to serve you, to love you, to follow you? Maybe we're in that spot in our lives where our children are gone. And it's the next phase, as we think, and we wonder, what should we do? Is now the time to move? Is it to find a different job? What is it, Lord, that you're asking us to do? Maybe we're in a spot where we're older, and it may even feel as though our world is beginning to close some. And we wonder, what is it, Lord, that you have us here to do? Or maybe we are like some of those that we pray for in our prayer list. Our prayer list. We have something that is very difficult, a diagnosis that's likely to be the one that takes our life. And we wonder, Lord, what are you doing? Lead us. Make our lives useful. Lord, show us what to do. It is the nature of our humanity that at every phase of life, we do not know what the future holds. We are finite. We can't even remember well what yesterday was. We certainly do not know what today holds. And it is foolish for us to try to determine the future. The Bible says that we can lay our plans, but you are the one who brings them to pass. And Lord, we pray this morning for each other, for each one who is listening, that we would have the humility to submit ourselves to you as Lord and King. That we would have the peace to know that our hearts and our lives are indeed in your hands. That as much as things may seem very uncertain to us, and we may feel like we are wandering around searching for things in the dark, everything is clear to you. And we ask in the light of your power to care for us today and tomorrow. 
that you would give us peace. That we would be able to do what the Apostle Paul says, to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, we make a request known to you, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. May that be true for each one of us. That as we pray to you this morning, you would fill us with that peace, that you know today and tomorrow all things are in your hands. And therefore, we can walk forward in confidence. And Lord, we are glad finally this morning that we know where all this ends. Even if we do not know the time or the day, we know that our end as believers in Jesus Christ is a time when we will be before your face. There's a glorious picture in Revelation in chapter 7 where there is a massive throng of people gathered before the throne of the king and they are there worshiping and celebrating They're singing in praise in music that is even more glorious than we have here this morning. And there is a massive humanity from every tribe, nation, and tongue from across history. We will see our fathers and mothers in the faith. We will see those who have gone on before and died in Christ. Lord, we will know those that we have never seen before. Lord, that is our future. That is what you have said, you have planned for us. And then the king will make all things right. And we will live with you in eternal splendor. No sorrow, no tear, no fear, no anxiety. There will only be the light of Jesus Christ that makes our lives full and complete. There will only be perfect peace. Father, in this moment where we cannot see what tomorrow holds... Fill us with the confidence that our Savior indeed is holding all things. That our future is secure. And therefore we can say, as the scriptures say, that we can say with confidence we walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, hear this prayer as we pray for each other in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're turning back to the Gospel of John. And I invite you to turn there with me if you have your Bibles. John chapter 8, there are scriptures in the a little pocket underneath the chairs in front of you. Someone suggested that I note what page that is, but since my edition of the Bible is different, I don't know what page that is. <laughs> but if you see anyone around you who doesn't have a Bible or might be struggling to find it, Feel free to lend some help. We're in John chapter 8, beginning at verse 12. I'll be reading through verse 30. This is in a series of sermons that I've been preaching from the Gospel of John that we have together as pastors been preaching from the Gospel of John. Hear the word of God this morning as he speaks to us in these words that John recorded. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisee said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. 
In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. May that also be true this morning, as this word is preached, that we also would come to believe in him. Over this past weekend, you may or may not know that we had our annual leaders retreat. That's a couple of days where we go together as elders off campus and we spend some time together. There's really two things that we did. I'll say a little bit about the beginning and then tell you more about it at the end of the sermon this morning. For the first night, I ask each elder to sort of give us an update on how they're doing. So how are things in your family? How are you doing in your work? How is your walk with the Lord? And what is it like for you to serve as an elder in this church? Each man gives a report for 20 minutes or so, and then we pray at length for that man. We went all the way around the circle. It came to my turn. And one of the things I noted last year has really been impressed upon me again this year. And the thing that I noted to my brothers, as best as I can recall, it certainly is very much in my heart this morning, is that it took me many, many years to figure out that my calling as a pastor was not to lead, but to follow. Now I say that as a pastor who has been trained in leadership, and I don't mean to say there is no responsibility to lead. I do believe that's true. And later on, when I talk about some of the things that we have discussed, a little bit this morning, but then more in a couple of weeks when we have a town hall meeting that you're all invited to, when we talk about those things, you'll see some of the things that we've been called to lead into, and I'm responsible for that, much of that. But for a great deal of my life, and maybe this would be true for you also, you spend your life worrying about how you can plan best for the future. And again, some of that is appropriate, but when it becomes your overwhelming desire to know about that future to the points that everything is squared away, you know what that future is like, it is secure, 
Something is fundamentally wrong. And that's what I did for many years as a pastor, thinking if I only worked hard and planned well enough, everything was going to go the way I wanted. And the Lord has taken many years, more than 20 years, to show me that my fundamental attitude as a Christian and as a father, as a husband, and especially as a pastor, is that I am called to be a follower first before I'm called to be a leader. As easy as it is for me to say that this morning, I want to challenge you in this passage whether you are willing, whether you are willing for Jesus to lead you. To ask it more specifically, can you trust Jesus to lead you? Because Jesus is claiming that ability this morning in these verses that I read to you from John chapter 8. Maybe that's difficult to understand. So the first thing I want to do this morning is explain to you just that first verse where Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. You might know that the gospel of John has many of these I am statements. They are explicit claims that Jesus is in fact the great Old Testament God. that the God the Israelites worship in the Old Testament is now revealed in Jesus Christ. He said, I am to Moses. And Jesus now says over and over in John, I am. And here he says, I am the light of the world. To appreciate what Jesus meant when he said that, I want to remind you of something that I noted last week. In case you were not here, I'll repeat it this morning. The section that precedes this that I have bracketed in my edition of the Bible, maybe also in yours, says the earliest manuscripts do not include the first portion of John chapter 8. What I said last Sunday is there's a lot of uncertainty about where this story, where this historical event should be placed in our editions of the Bible. And our editors place it here at the beginning of John chapter 8. I believe it's historically true. We're just not certain where it should be placed. And I note that again because when we start in verse 12, I want you to think very clearly that Jesus is still at the festival of the tabernacles in Jerusalem. You can look all the way back to the beginning of chapter 7 and see what is called the Feast of Booze or the Feast of Tabernacles introduced there. And at that point, it says that Jesus initially did not go up to that festival and then came to that festival later. And if I can just just put it this way, this is the first time that Jesus really appears on the scene of Jerusalem. And the crowds are flocking to him and people are listening to him. And Jesus makes some of the boldest claims that he'll ever make in his ministry here at the Feast of Tabernacles. And in order to understand what Jesus means in verse 12, I am the light of the world, you have to know what would happen at the Feast of Tabernacles. You might remember that this feast as a whole was a celebration of the Old Testament period when God had brought the Israelites out of the land of Egypt through the Red Sea And he had cared for them for 40 years in the wilderness. He given them manna to eat, brought quail from the, from the desert. He had fed them 
and he had given them water from the rock, and they had lived in booze, or what we might say, they lived in temporary shelters, sort of like tents. That's what they did for 40 years, and God had taken care of them the entire time. But there was one part of that festival that celebrated a particular part of the Israelite period in the desert. In Exodus chapter 13, verses 21 through 23, very early in the time in which they wandered in the desert, we read these words, And the Lord went before them, that is the Israelites, He went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. And we read about not only God leading them through this fiery fiery crowd when they wandered through the desert, but we read about one particular time where God appeared in this fiery pillar or cloud to protect his people. When the Israelites crossed through the Red Sea, he parted the waters. The pillar of cloud, it says in Exodus, prevented the Egyptians from following after the Israelites and killing them. So if you're wondering what the Israelites would have been celebrating at the Festival of Booze, a celebration that went on almost eight days. Imagine the celebration. Every night when it became dark, there were giant torches that were placed outside outside of the temple. And these torches would burn all night and the people would take smaller torches and light them from the larger ones and they would celebrate, not for 15 minutes or a half hour or an hour, they would celebrate through the night that in the middle of darkness there was the light of God that protected them and especially led them when they were incredibly vulnerable. They would wave these torches The best illustration I could think of is if you're a child and it's 4th of July and your parents give you these sparklers and you run around and you're so thrilled, these sparklers setting off all this color. You think to yourself, this is beautiful and wonderful. That's nothing compared to what the Israelites were celebrating at the Feast of Tabernacles. It was mind-blowing. God had protected us for 40 years through the light of his cloud. He had protected us in the moment when we were most vulnerable from the Egyptians. And for 40 long years, in the darkest period in our history, God gave the Israelites light out of darkness, life out of death. And it is into that celebration of the light comes Jesus making this audacious claim here in verse 12 he says i am the light of the world whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life the light of life makes perfect sense the israelites had received life when the shekinah glory of god descended into this cloud of light And what Jesus is claiming here at the festival of the tabernacle was that as the lights are burning, he is saying that God that led you, protected you through those 40 years, here I am. 
I'm the one. I'm the one that leads you and protects you. That light was meant to lead you to me. And to make that claim even more incredible, Jesus extends it in two ways beyond most likely what the Israelites would have been anticipating. He first claims to be the light of the world. Do you see that? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Light of the world. The Israelites would have thought of that light in terms of the protection and leading of the Israelites, not the light of the world. Now Jesus is coming saying, this light... I will lead not only a few people or just the nation of Israel. I am claiming to be the light of the world. There is no other, only me. I am the one who's capable of leading human beings. Maybe it reminds you of John chapter 1 verse 4 where it says, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. There's no other light, Jesus is claiming. No uh, No one else to lead you only me, I am the light of the world. The second way that Jesus extends that claim of the Old Testament, I am light, is by calling the crowds to believe in him. He says, whoever believes in me will walk in light and never in darkness. He does not tell them to go back and believe in the God of the Old Testament. He tells them to believe in him. I'm not dividing the God of the Old Testament from Jesus. I'm simply saying any good rabbi would have said to the Israelites, believe in the God who led you through the wilderness. Jesus goes further. He says, believe in me. I am the God who led you in the wilderness. I'm the one. Does that impress you this morning? That Jesus in this I am statement is making this bold claim that God protected and led his people in the Old Testament by the pillar of light. And Jesus now says, I am the embodiment of that work of God. I can protect you. I can lead you. I am the light. I am the light of God. I want you to hear that very clear this morning, wherever you are. Because that claim was not only intended for the Old Testament Israelites, it's also intended for you. Here's the claim. When Jesus says, I am the light of men, if you believe me, you will never walk in darkness. You will have lights. Jesus is making that claim as clearly here this morning to you today as he made it at the tabernacle, tabernacle here in our passage. It is almost certain that some of us wonder, perhaps most of us, even all of us, wonder about protection and care. For much of our pastoral prayer this morning, I prayed, and hopefully it was true for you as well, about the need that we have for God to lead us, to protect us and to lead us. And in this passage, Jesus is saying the protection and the leadership that you need, I am the one who is giving it to you. Think of how much time in life we spend trying to hang on to the things that we believe will give us control over what will make our lives good, complete what we want. And Jesus totally reverses that. He says those ambitions, those goals, that time, our energy, our lives, they belong to Jesus. He has the right to claim them. Jesus says, I am the light 
of life. Are you willing to do that this morning? To put it in other language that Jesus uses in other places, when he calls his disciples, he says, follow me. Or in another place, he says, if anyone would want to be my disciple, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and what? Follow me. It will require you to give up your sense that your life belongs to yourself. And I have to tell you this morning, that is one of the hardest callings in life. As I noted at the beginning of this sermon, it may take many, many years for that reality to become true in your life, but it begins somewhere. And Jesus is calling in this passage to these folks at the Feast of Tabernacle and to each one of you this morning, whether you believe in Jesus Christ or you're just hearing about him this morning, to follow him, to give yourself over to him, to rest in him, to rely on him, to respond to Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. So here's the second thing I want to ask for you this morning. Why in the world would you do that? Why would you do that? Why would you believe Jesus' incredible claim? And as complicated as the following verses are, I think they make two compelling reasons that Jesus gives to these people who are listening why that should be true. The first reason comes in verses 13 through 20, where Jesus makes the claim that he is fundamentally different from everyone else. He's not calling you to follow someone who is like your father, your mother, your friend, some politician. He is in a different category. Now let me explain to you why that is. These are not easy things for us to follow. So I'll do my best to explain them to you and give you the core of this first reason. In verse 13, after following, immediately after Jesus makes the claim to be the saving, leading Savior, the light of the world, the Pharisees say to him, that's not possible. And it's a reason of evidence. Jesus is making that claim about himself. They say, where is your proof? Who else says this about you? Doesn't there have to be another witness? You're your own witness. Who believes claims about yourself? I can understand to some degree why the Pharisees are asking this question. And just a couple of chapters earlier in chapter 531, Jesus said, to quote, if I bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. <laughs> I can imagine these Pharisees saying to themselves, gotcha, Jesus. You said if you testify about yourself, your testimony is not true. You just testified about yourself that you are the light of the world, that you can lead us like no one else can. Who else testifies that is true? Jesus goes on in verses 16 through 20 to say that they should believe his claim because his father speaks as well. Verse 18 says, I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who bears witness about me does as well. It's not me alone. It is the Father who testifies along with me. Now you might say to yourself, what in the world, what in the world is Jesus pointing to? 
The heart of what Jesus means to tell these Pharisees comes, I believe, in verse 15. Where he says to the Pharisees, you judge me according to the flesh, I judge no one. I believe what Jesus is saying is, I judge no one according to that standard. They have assumed to evaluate Jesus according to the unnamed but assumed standard that exists in their minds. And Jesus says you need to rethink your assumption. You're evaluating me like you evaluate everyone else. You're holding me to the standard of two witnesses that makes sense in your mind. I'm going to challenge that. You're evaluating me according to the flesh. It's not right. What does that mean? I'm going to ask you to think about the question about evaluating Jesus. Maybe I'll put it this way. How do you know if Jesus is for you? If you should put your trust in him, if you should follow him, if he is indeed able to lead you. Our most basic standard of evaluation for most of life is, well, why would I do that? How does that benefit me? Is it what I want? Is it good for me? That standard functions in all areas of life. When I go out to buy a car, I ask myself the question, is it the car I want? Is it good for me? Is it good for my family? That standard is the one that we so commonly apply. It's also the reason it's difficult to parent. Because we look at our children and often the question we ask is not what's good for them, but what do I want out of this? Oh, please, friends. Isn't that true? Why are you making this so difficult for me? This is my life. Why can't you just be what I want you to be? That is the dangerous assumption, shall I call it according to the flesh, that turns us inward farther and farther until it's impossible to see beyond ourselves. And that's what the Pharisees were applying. It is natural as fallen people living in this world, we would do exactly that. Remember what Adam and Eve did when they rebelled against God. The evil one came to them and he said, do you want to know good and evil? Do you want to be like God? Would this be good for you? And Adam and Eve said, absolutely. Who would not want to be like God? Knowing good and evil, sign me up. Even if it means rebellion against the God who made us. That, my friends, is judging according to the flesh. Here's what Jesus says. You must evaluate him differently. Jesus tells us over and over that to really understand him, you must start by denying yourself. You must look away from yourself to him. And when you do, you will discover that he is bringing you into a kingdom that is far greater than whatever you thought you were accumulating for yourself. You are so focused so often as I am on how I can establish my own kingdom so that I may reign in the way that brings me greatest satisfaction. And Jesus challenges that all by bringing us into a kingdom that gives us true transcendent meaning. Here's the question for you. Can Jesus do that? Can he lead you into a kingdom that gives you ultimate meaning? The Pharisees could not get to that point. They got stuck at 
Who testifies about you? Who is your second witness? Jesus is saying, look higher. Look above that. Look not simply to how this will benefit me. Look at the kingdom that I am bringing you into. The second way that Jesus challenges these Pharisees And I would challenge you again this morning, is Jesus able to lead you? Yes, he is, because he will bring you into a kingdom that is greater than you imagine. The second reason you ought to follow him is given in those verses that follow, verses 21 through 30. Again, complicated verses, difficult perhaps to understand, would love to do a lengthy Bible study through them. But again, to get to the heart of what Jesus is saying... Jesus says, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. The Pharisees take this to mean that Jesus is going to kill himself. I think that is subtly communicated by what he says. Not that he's going to kill himself, but that he's going away, they would say, permanently. Jesus is going to die. And their question is, what does that mean? If he's going to die, what does that mean? Particularly when Jesus adds in these verses that Jesus is doing this work by the authority of the Father. This is God's design. This is their work together. He is doing what pleases the Father always according to verse 20. It is the plan of God that Jesus would go to die. It is when Jesus is lifted up, when he dies on the cross, as it indicates here, that they will see the reality that Jesus came from the Father. How should this persuade them and us that we can follow this Jesus? I'll tell you this morning why that should be persuasive. The best friend that you have in this world, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's someone else, maybe it's a sibling, the person that you believe loves you the most would struggle to give him or herself for you. The reason I say that is not because you've ever been in that situation where it's life and death and you jump in front of the car that's speeding to kill your spouse or your child or you have to take a bullet for someone else the reason i say it's difficult is because you find it difficult every day do you not find it difficult to abandon yourself in love for your spouse your friend whoever it is your child every day at 2 a.m when your child is crying do you not say to yourself i wish he or she would just be quiet i'm trying to sleep here When your spouse doesn't do what you're hoping, do you not say to yourself, why doesn't he or she just do what I want? So that I say to you, as John says, even the best of us will struggle to give ourselves for someone else, but not Jesus. Jesus offers himself to you, my friend, fully and truly, with no hesitation. He's not looking for something from you so that this is a fair exchange. He's not saying to you, when you are everything that I need from you, I will give myself. No, Jesus comes to you when you're weakest, 
when you have the least to give, it is the nature of the mercy of God that he will come to you in your need to offer you help. No one else can do that. And that is what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and also to you this morning. Why should you give yourself to follow this Jesus? Not only will he bring you into a kingdom that is beyond our imaginations, but he will bring you there by his own mercy. He will willingly go to the cross in your place, suffering the punishment that I deserve. And he does so freely. So why would you not follow him? Why would you not? Jesus says in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's for you this morning. As I said at the beginning of this sermon, every year our elders go away on a retreat. In a few weeks when we have our town hall meeting, you'll see advertisements for that. We'll talk about some of the things that we talked about and are planning for the new and even the far distant, somewhat distant future. But this morning, I'm not going to talk about things, those things. What I want to note to you as we end this morning is the necessity of those plans to be considered in the light of this text. The very best and wisest plans will be in rebellion against our Savior if they are not first and foremost given to him as he leads us. I think I can confidently say this for each one of the brothers who was there this weekend. Our desire as leadership in this church is to follow first before we lead. May that be true for us, for me personally, for our leadership as a whole. But then, my friend, wherever you are in life, whatever that means that you must give up, would you see in Jesus Christ the one who makes not only the claim to be able to lead you, but would you see he has every right and he has every ability to make that claim? Let's bow in prayer. Our Father, we know in our hearts how difficult it is to give up our lives for the sake of another. We wrestle with that over and over. And to think of the marvelous grace of Jesus, the Son of God, God himself who came into this world and willingly gave himself in our place. Lord, we run to him this morning. In all of our difficulty, in all of our struggle, in all the places in which we are uncertain, in all the places that we wonder about the future, Lord, we give them to our Savior Jesus, who said he was not only able to bear the weight of those things, but Lord, he's also a merciful God. So much of our lives is spent trying to protect ourselves from harm. Lord, show us that with Jesus Christ there is no need. 
because Jesus will protect us as he leads us, as certainly as that cloud of fire protected the Israelites in the Old Testament. He will keep us. He will protect us. And therefore, he is able to lead us. Lord, may we know that this morning as we come in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing, Lift High the Name of Jesus. couple of things before our blessing and then the song that we sing at the end. There will be some elders up here to my left if you'd like prayer after the service is done. Feel free to walk up here. They'd be glad to pray with you. Also, there are Sunday school classes for every age adult, including uh, the adults who will be meeting in here. The inquirers class will be meeting in my office. If you're wondering where that is, you can see me at the back there when we are finished. Receive this blessing from God. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you all. Go in his peace. Amen.